Hi, I'm Nicole Cushing, and you are listening to Legends of Tabletop. Yes, this is episode 170, and we are going ever nearer to the coveted episode 200, and I never thought we'd make it this far, and thank you so much for joining us today, Nicole. Um, can you tell us why you're here today? Well, uh, I'm here to talk about my new release from Word Horde uh, called A Sick Gray Laugh. It's my new novel, uh, and I'm very excited about it. Well, I'm very excited to talk with you about it, too. Um, as I was going through part of it, it, it began to read somewhat like a book that I had read previously called Occult America. Um, I, I don't know if you have, have read that one as well. I haven't, but it's always good to know that other people are on the same page and I'm not just a complete alien kind of like, oh, no. score, you know. See, the, the funny thing is it begins to read almost like a document of items occurring throughout history mm -hmm. of, of the occult history of our country mm. and and what is woven into the fabric of our being mm. um, <laughs> and the places that we come from and and what that means for us uh if you are a history buff i uh, i would definitely recommend this book to you uh it it's excellent it, it reads well, somewhat, yeah i mean it, it reads somewhat like a dissertation but the the bits where you go into into the vignettes uh i i've only made it to about page 110. okay <laughs> so i i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and confess that now that's um, okay yeah but but no but I, I do I do greatly appreciate it and and the parts where it's like oh I I'm, I don't want to go into it because I don't want to give it away but the parts where something has been absconded with and then there's a vision around around the part where I told you where I just I had cut off um, where there's a vision of opulence and yes. Yes. and. Yeah, I, I think that was hilarious. Like, oh, they absconded with it. Right, right. Really? Right, right. Yeah, there, there are there are various narrators throughout the book who um, are of various degrees of trustworthiness, and it's up to the reader yeah. to kind of suss out which ones are, uh, you know, perhaps legitimate or not. But there mm -hmm. are hints definitely provided along the way, and. Uh, there are shady characters and there are people who are true believers and then there are people who are exploiting the true believers. Um, and just to give a little bit of context for the, the listeners, what we're really talking about is the settlement of um, the Midwest in the 19th century. And 
some of the utopian societies that came out here. Um, I, I'm located in Indiana. And uh, some of the uh, utopian societies that came out here that were so odd in many cases and broad beliefs that, you know, kind of commingled Orthodox Christianity with alchemy and Gnosticism and, and all this kind of thing. And, and so the puzzle that I reached was this, you know, kind of curious question of how did the Midwest get from this real um, proving ground of unusual ideas to the reputation it has now as being very stodgy and being very conservative. And, uh, and I wanted to interrogate that. And that's part of what the novel's about. And you did a fantastic job here. Um, oh, let's see. Yep. And I'm, I'm just going over, going over little notes and I've already addressed the like, like the occult America, mm -hmm. um, which again, that's a, it's a history of our, strangeness that has come to our shores uh yeah. let's see and oh yes uh please tell me about we're, we're gonna take another direction really quickly sure tell me about your patreon classes sure. if you sure. could that would be yeah. fantastic for those of us that are unaware and that's very exciting yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, I started uh, doing Patreon a few months ago, so it's uh, it's just been the last few months that I've been doing this, but I'm interested in, I've taught horror, horror writing classes or writing classes in general for several years now, and I've done them mostly at conventions like StokerCon, or I was a... Uh, uh, a guest at a literary festival in Virginia where I taught classes to, to um, college students. And I was interested in taking this idea of online learning and taking it to Patreon. So what I'm doing on Patreon is helping people learn how to write good horror stories by taking a very hands-on approach. So um, the idea is that uh, I, I'm very practical. I kind of think of this as a, a class almost in like literary mechanics. I imagine that we're all in a shop and we're all kind of have grease stains on ourselves. And we mm -hmm. are taking a look at a really good horror story. We are treating it like a car in the sense that we're popping open the hood. We're taking a look at the engine inside, the engine that makes the story run. And, you know, we're taking the, uh, uh, apart the engine to show all the different parts of how they interact with each other, what makes the engine of the story go and what makes it run efficiently. And to me, that's like one of the best ways to learn writing is to see like a writer who does it really well and to study it and to study the nuances and to find out what are the essential threads that run through a horror story that might not run through um, conventional literary story or a fantasy story or a science fiction story, really focusing on what makes horror horror and how to do it well. And so there are 25 minute video uh, lessons uh, posted one each month. And there are also uh, PDF attachments that are available for students to look at. So some of them are writing prompts. Some of them are, um, you know, just, explanations of ideas and examples of ideas. And so there's actual tangible things that people can take. Um, and that that's for folks who give at the $15 a month level. And then there's also uh, some other fun things on the Patreon. Uh, a few years ago, I had something I called the Nicole Cushing Postcard Club, where <laughs> I, I was at, at that point, I was giving out like free weird postcards. You know, I was like sending them through the mail. Oh no! 
able to read. Oh, we've been having some technical issues with Nicole's Wi-Fi. So we may experience some intermittent delays once in a while. I just hope that Nicole gets this little hiccup uh, worked through and we can continue where we left off with the weird postcard club. I'm, as far as I know, from what I can hear, her Wi-Fi has broken. However, we might be talking. I'm excited about it because Patreon is a way for creators to connect directly with readers. And especially if you're doing work outside of the box, um, you know, doing work that's kind of um, not your typical sort of novel, something a little bit strange. This is a good mechanism for readers to support that work directly. That That is awesome. And I'm going to go ahead and admit, unfortunately, your Wi-Fi hiccuped. Oh, your Wi-Fi hiccuped and it's doing so again. Right when you started talking about the strange postcard club. And I caught the very end of where Patreon allowed for... Uh, for us to uh, work with people who thought outside of the box. And that's- Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I looks like my internet connection kind of went out, which, um, yeah, the signal is being jammed perhaps by m malicious forces, who knows? That's a joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. I'm not really that paranoid, honest. I'm really not that paranoid. But um, no. Um, yeah, so I yeah I, I was talking about Patreon and how it's really great because it you know creators and uh, audiences connect directly and so if you're outside the box, it's a good way for people to show their love for things that aren't mainstream. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, tell me about the experience of winning the Bram Stoker Award. Oh well, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's here cool. by the way. Yeah, here it is, and it's, it's cool. It's like a little creepy haunted house, and you open the door, and it has your name, and I don't know if that's visible, but yeah, name and everything. So, um, so yeah, it's a cool experience, and um, I had been nominated for awards before, so I knew not to get my hope. No! Nicole! Ross, I promise we'll talk when she gets back. Oh, Nicole. Oh, this is so sad. I'll, I'll figure something that we can, to pass the time, now hopefully John can edit these strange moments out so we have. So we have. Can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, so I, I've, I've, what I was saying is basically that the, um, I, I've been nominated for awards before, and so I knew not to get my hopes up because my novella, Children of No One, um, had been nominated for Shirley Jackson Award, mm -hmm. I think in like 2014. Um, and so I knew, you know, I, I was nominated, but I hadn't won. And so I go into it basically with the sense of, you know, if this happens, great, but I'm not going to count. Nicole. Yeah. Here you are again. I if this like happens, great. Yeah. Oh. oh, am I here? You're here Hello? now. Okay. So you okay. cut off right after. If this happens, great. Then yeah. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, it you know, fine. 
and uh, basically it happened and it was ecstatic and wonderful. And it uh, probably the best part is it helped um, give my work a lot of more, a lot more attention than it, than it would have without the win or without the nomination, even the nomination um, gave me a lot of, um, gave me a lot of, uh, attention. And I was able to share that moment with, um, my husband who is there. And I was able to virtually share that moment with, uh, my, uh, editor, Ross Lockhart, who I quickly messaged on Facebook messenger. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, cause that would had been a really great, uh, partnership. And then, uh, I also had a chance to, uh, you know, get congratulated by uh, Jack Ketchum, uh, a horror author who I had admired, who wow. unfortunately has passed away now. Um, but um, so when I think about that night, I'll think about how Jack Ketchum came over to congratulate me and uh, how much that meant to to me. And um, and I had mentioned him in my acceptance speech, and I, that meant a lot to him. And um, um, you know, I just wish we still had Jack here, but we don't. But I had that wonderful memory of that night uh, at the uh, at the Stokers. That's fantastic. Now, what city is that held in? Well, Does it rotates rotate? around. It oh, okay. It, yeah, like uh, the year that I won the Stoker, it was in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, and since then, it has been in Long Beach. It has been in um, re most recently in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and I'm sure there is another location that I might be forgetting, but yeah, that's, that's basically, uh, where, you know, and I think next year it's going to be in the UK. Um, okay. so it's kind of like world con and that. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's definitely, uh, it travels around. And then I think the year after that is going to be in Denver. So they're already working out where it's going to be, but, oh, wow. um, so yeah, it was a pretty cool experience and it definitely, um, took the notice of my work to another level. And I'm very grateful for that. Oh, absolutely. Um, now, what book is this? A Sick Gray Laugh. Uh, in which, how many books have you had published by Word Horde? Oh, well, this is the second uh, book from Word Horde. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also my second novel. Uh, I've had other books, I, you know, basically novellas, uh, a short story collection as well. Uh, so, um, and I, I enjoy the novellas, but I really feel a strong dedication to the novel form now. And so uh, A Sick Great Laugh took a little bit of time to write because uh, historical fiction always takes mm -hmm. time to research. And I wanted to really get it right. I'm not, I wasn't, after mis, my book, Mr. Suicide won the Stoker, I didn't just want to, uh, you know, repeat the same kind of story with the same kind of characters. I, I really felt an obligation to both myself and my readers to grow as a writer and to find new influences and to grow in new directions. And I think that's what I've done with this book. So it took a little bit of time, but I think readers will find the weight worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, oh, my goodness. Hmm. As, uh, oh, let's see. What did I do? You know what? It's, it's been, it, I'm going to be painfully honest with you, Nicole. Mm -hmm. It has been such a busy couple of months for me that, uh, that I did not prepare very well for this at all. So... <laughs> 
So I, I apologize. How long have you been, have you been writing horror, specifically horror? I've been writing, well, I've pretty much always written horror and I've been writing um, for about, I guess this will be about 11 years now that I've been, I've been writing. It's been a long journey. I didn't, um, for many of those years, I spent just kind of finding my voice and uh, getting my skill level up and uh, getting your skill level up. Aw, it's okay. We've all had Wi-Fi issues in the past. So it is okay. And we will edit this in post. <laughs> and now we're back. <laughs> yes. And, and that's okay. I was just explaining. We've all had Wi-Fi issues in the past. Yeah. And we, can, we can always edit this out in post. Um, so, uh, so you've, you've been writing horror, uh, yep. for the past 11 years or so, mainly finding mm -hmm. your voice. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Now, how long was it uh, since you made the decision of, I'm going to be a published writer? How long did it take for you from making that decision to crossing that line? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I really became serious about writing in 2008. I had played around with it before. Uh -huh. um, I had, um, you know, after college in 1996, I had tried to... Um, to write and I really didn't get much done. Uh, I got some very well-earned rejection letters from short story markets that were around at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of uh, took my ball and went home, so to speak. And uh, then I tried it again around the, you know, the turn of the millennium, like 2000, 2001, 2002. And I even sold a couple of stories, but mm -hmm. I really was more involved in, partying with writers instead of actually writing. I did not have the work ethic at that time, nor did I have the ability to take uh, advice from more, uh, you know, more established writers. I was not teachable. So uh, it really wasn't until 2008 when I went to, I went to a writing class and started going to a couple of them, writing classes that were held at conventions. And, um, and when that happened, I, you know, I, for the first time I began to be willing to take advice. And so I just did a lot of writing where, of course I wanted to write for publication, but I um, really wanted to get good at it first. And mm -hmm. so uh, there are, you know, probably dozens if not hundreds of stories that have gone on the cutting room floor and um, we'll never see the light of the day because they're just kind of failed experiments. Um, they're little misbegotten sort of uh, uh, mutant things that hop around when they're supposed to fly or, or <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and yeah, so it, it just, uh, you know, there's a long learning curve uh, to really know how to do this well. It's not, it's not enough, in my opinion, just to be able to... Um, be able to turn a phrase. Uh, it's not enough just to be able to have a attraction to words. It's really learning how to refine the use of that, and to and and you know just in the same way someone learning music would have to learn how to write music. Um, I think it's that complicated. In, in a sense, I'm I'm going to say that it, it to me it's even more complicated than that. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, it would be easy for someone that's been in this at that level to say, yeah, it's more complicated than that. And then it's, of course, as as I'm coming to the picture, it's like this insurmountable cliff, kind of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, no, I, I get that. Uh, wow. Now, uh, how many rejections would you say that you had gotten before that tide began to turn? Oh, gosh. Um, hundreds, literally, literally hundreds. I mean, mm-hmm. there were, and, and some of the stories, a lot of the time I was rejecting myself in the sense that I would produce something that I knew wasn't good enough, that was nowhere near good enough. And so it just kind of was one of these, like I said, little misbegotten mutant children that I, you know, that just. Misbegotten mutant children. I've, I've birthed, no, I mean, I've written a few of those. Oh, Nicole. One of these days. I'll, maybe I should spit out a misbegotten. No. Ah, you're back. We, we left I, off at misbegotten mutant children. And oh, yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, but um, a lot of the stories that I sent out were rejected. Some of them were rejected many times. And, mm-hmm. for example, there's a story of mine called The Orchard of Hanging Trees, uh, which is uh, a story that a lot of people like, but it was rejected originally 13 times uh, before Pseudopod finally picked it up as a, a story that they wanted to produce uh, as an audio version. And uh, and so, yeah, you just never know. Sometimes persistence. Sometimes persistence does pay off. I'm guessing that's what the sentence was. I'm guessing that sometimes persistence does pay off. Yeah, persistence does pay off. Okay, because unfortunately I had to finish that sentence. And, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's how I finished it. And I... I just, I won't do that. I will refrain from completing your sentences in the future when this happens again. Mm-hmm. So. Which it will, probably in a matter of seconds. <laughs> yes. But, uh, oh, Matt, my goodness. Um, tell us again what your works are and where they can be found. Well, uh, the... The one what you can find them well, you can order right from Word Horde. That's actually a really good way to go because Word Horde has this deal where if you order the book from them, they'll um, you get a signed book plate in there. So and of course it's good for the publisher. So if you head on over to wordhorde.com, that's W-O-R-D-H-O-R-D-E dot com. Uh, they have where you can order, you can pre-order the book already there. And uh, and that's a good way to go and support the small press. Um, obviously, my books are also available at online booksellers. Um, you know, like the one that uh, rhymes with Glamazon. Uh, <laughs> and and there's uh, actually in my in uh, I live uh, on the border of Indiana and Kentucky, and so the closest indie bookstore to me is Carmichael's Books in um, in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, they have many of my books in stock where you can order them online. If you go to Carmichael's Bookstore, I believe it's carmichaelsbookstore.com, uh, or if you go Google Carmichael's Bookstore, they have signed copies in stock that you can order, uh, and you can order online from them. 
and uh, that's another great way to, uh, to support indie things, indie booksellers, um, supporting indie publishers. And uh, I, I try to be very supportive of Carmichael's um, because I think it's important that we have um, booksellers who are um, really invested in book culture, which is what you find at Carmichael's. Absolutely. Definitely support small businesses, of course. And that's C-A-R-M-I-C-H-E-A-L-S, folks. Yeah, uh, C-A-R-M-I-C-H-A-E-L. A-E-L apostrophe S books. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, they, they, like people have ordered my books from all around, like people from all across the country have ordered books from them and it's good for the bookstore and, and it's good for me and it's just kind of a win-win. Excellent. Excellent. I will add that link to the description of Thank this you. video below. Yeah. So, yes. So, so please uh, go to that site and if you do, then you just might get a signed Nicole Cushing book. Yep. And that's very kind of you to sign their stock. Well, I, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm, I go there all the time too. I shop there because they mm -hmm. have really great books and uh, they have stuff that I wouldn't find other places. So, um, so for me, it's not a, you know, I, I just can, can often I'm by there anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it, it helps. And it's a, it's a really cool thing. Like I said, a win-win for both of us. Absolutely. Now, uh, how long would you say that the process took between start to completion to just putting that final rubber stamp, the end on a sick great laugh? Oh, gosh. It, it took a long while. Um, it, the sick, a sick great laugh started in its infancy in late 2014, I want to say. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had a, a story in mind and I wrote about 45,000 words and it wasn't working out. And I then went back and eviscerated it and started uh, writing a new story. Um, and then the old story kind of developed into its own thing. You know, it, there, there, I have a book coming out later in the fall called The Half Freaks. And uh, the Half Freaks was originally supposed to be part of a sick gray laugh, but it kind of be developed its own entity. They're kind of like fraternal twins. Oh. Um, and, um, and so, and that one's coming out from Grimscribe Press. And so, you know, so it kind of diverged in its own direction, kind of developed its own integrity, its own orbit. And, uh, and so you're saying it's, it's more of a fraternal twin to TNM? It's more of a fraternal uh, twin to um, a sick gray laugh, you know. Oh, okay. than, yeah, I was thinking of it of a character in that book, but no, okay. no. So it's um, so yeah, it's so I, I there was a lot of you know kind of juggling around mm -hmm. the stories and finding which one was the right one, and then once I found out which one was the right one, I would sometimes get interrupted because a short story deadline would be coming up. Mm. Um, and so I spent time doing that, or I had another book that had a, um, a crowdfunding campaign attached to it and that took my attention. Oh. And so it was really, um, not until, you know, like last year that I was able to give it the full amount of attention I wanted to, and I knew where I was going with it and the form sort of developed over time. Uh, and also the other thing is about partway through the writing process, I um, discovered a great book called The Art of the Novel uh, by the, the literary novelist Milan Kundra. 
and uh, I fell in love with that. And that really taught me a lot about novel writing. And I wanted to apply those lessons to a sick gray laugh. And so that changed my whole approach to the novel, I think much for the better. And so, you know, I, the thing is, I will always want to be learning. I always want to be growing as, as a novelist. Um, and that means getting new influences like uh, Kundera has been one of my influences in the last couple of years and applying his storytelling style to my subject matter, which is, you know, things like madness and foulness and, and uh, you know, um, squalor and all these kinds of things. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was a real evolution and I'm, I'm very pleased with the, the final product. And, um, but it was definitely a learning experience. And I think also anytime you're a writer working on your second novel, um, especially if, a, if the first novel has received any kind of acclaim or has garnered any kind of success, um, it's a bit difficult just because, you know, you're always looking over your shoulder and you're wondering, you know, you, like you, you wonder, like, okay, what are people expecting of me now? And it can get in your head a little bit. And it took some time for it, that to get out of my head and for me to just kind of feel confident doing something new. That's awesome. So, uh, The Art of the Novel by Milan Kundra. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Highly recommended. Okay. Um, oh, wow. That, I'm definitely going to have to check that out <laughs> um, when, when we are complete. Let's see. So, that took about four years. Mm -hmm. from conception to completion for a sick great laugh now it's obvious where a lot of your source material is pulled from mm -hmm. uh, your environment and uh, how specifically can, can you place uh, the specifics on your inspirations for your source well um for the taking as an example, the whole idea of utopian societies in the Midwest, there is a uh, there was a settlement about two hours west of me in southwestern Indiana called New Harmony, uh, and New Harmony was uh, this uh, strange society of, of folks. They were they were supposed to be celibate. They had uh, very strict rules governing their behavior. Um, but they were this society that um, had this unusual mingling of alchemy and Christianity and, and some unusual ideas about what happened at the creation of Adam and Eve. And they also had, um, they built a labyrinth in their settlement. So the, and you can go right now, if you, you know, you can go to New Harmony and visit and they have this uh, replica of the labyrinth. that's not in its original location, but it's like a hedgerow sort of uh, labyrinth that you can walk through. Um, and in the middle, there's a little hut where you can uh, go to meditate. Oh, wow. And of course, uh, I found that to be really, 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 you know, fascinating and, and strange and uh, alluring. And there's all kinds of, uh, you know, locations like that throughout the Midwest. Uh, and other places too. And, and so I, I read a great book, um, actually I have it right here, called uh, Utopian Communities in America. And uh, this was one of my big sources. 
for reading about all kinds of uh, very strange societies that grew up in um, the Midwest. And oh, wow. um, yeah, yeah. So like there, there was uh, this one woman in New England who called herself the public universal friend. Yes. Um, that, yeah, and and yeah. she and when it, she would you know like demand things from her followers, mm -hmm. and when and she would give the excuse that she needed to get these material things from her followers, these donations, by saying the friend hath need of these things, you oh, know. <laughs> it's just like so, you know, uh, so much, um, you know, gumption there involved in all that, and, and so extraism, just yeah, 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 totally. You know, and uh, but a lot of these folks were also true believers, oh. and um, and so you know you have all the elements of great drama in there if you think about it because you have the tension between the true believers and the con artists, and oh, yeah. you have the tension between the group as a whole and the society that surrounds them, and you have the tension between um, religious belief and uh, profit motive. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, and and just and also the, just the the effort to survive in a in a new place where they don't know anyone, especially in a sick gray laugh. The uh, the settlement is in a place that no other group. I mean, Indiana became a state in um, I believe eighteen sixteen, and uh, the this settlement is happening later in the century, in uh, you know, in like the eighteen forties or fifties, I believe. And, and the reason why that's the case is that no one else wanted the land that this uh, utopian society in the book is is going to occupy. It's in a place where it has no geographical advantages. The Native Americans didn't settle there. The uh, other previous settlers from Europe didn't settle there because it's just kind of not a good place to settle. And and so you have this completely impractical sort of thing, and you, and you have the, the absurdity that that opens up with some of it, some of their rationalizations about what they're doing, why they're doing, and it seems like um, that absurdity is a good uh, way of understanding our present day situation too, which is um, in current events, uh, sort of uh, a whirlwind of absurdity in and of itself. Yeah, so the first planks of kindling are laid in the mid what is it? The, yeah, the mid 19th century. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh, oh, wow. I, I did type out the name of that one book that I did reference earlier, um, because I, again, like, like you had said with Indiana, the same thing happened in Kansas City. We've got the United uh, Universalist Church, the RLDS split. So, oh, no. Did the Wi-Fi quit? No. Are you there? Hey, I lost you for a little bit. We had been going on for too long without the interruption. I know. It's like, okay, <laughs> this is going to happen sometime soon. But uh, but is there is there anything else that you would like to highlight today? Well, um, mostly I just want to say hi to all those folks out there in Google land and no, we're going to persist. This is going to. Hello? Yes. Was... You, you cut off right at hi to all the folks in Google land. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, what I really want to share is um, that a lot of passion and a lot of care went into this book. Um, 
and a lot of uh, a lot of rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. So I think that that effort will um, will show forth, and I'm looking forward to y'all being able to get it when it's released on August the 27th. Yes, again, and available for pre-order now through Word Hoard. Absolutely. Word, word cord is awesome. Thank you. They are. They are actually um, have here. Um, I maintain in my office a, uh, a little uh, piece of word cord themed armor. Right. Cause I, the, the word hoard logo is this group of like, you know, medieval silhouettes. I don't know if you can see that there. Oh, so yes. I have my own battle axe. I asked the uh, publisher of Word Horde, uh, Ross Lockhart, if I could be the one that has the battle axe, and he said I could. So uh, officially in the Word Horde logo, I'm the one with the battle axe. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, just uh, I, I take no shit. And uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My, other people in Indiana are crazy about guns, but I have my a weapon of my own. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Now, um, oh gosh, I mean, it's just simply because of the Wi-Fi issues. Yeah, yeah, totally. We need to wrap up. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but that's the only thing. And and thank you so much for your time, Nicole. Well, not a problem. I've, I'm sorry that the Wi-Fi issues are happening. It's that's just. Yeah, I have this thing on here that says I have a weak signal, and I don't know why that is. But of course, it would be today that I have the weak signal. Um, but anyway, thanks so much, Leah. I really appreciate it. Yes, and thank you all for tuning in. Have a wonderful afternoon. Hey, everybody. Before we wrap up this episode, I'd like to take a minute to say thank you for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying the podcast from our interviews and actual plays to our rambling roundtable discussions. If you like what you're here and you'd like to support the show, we have great sponsors for you to check out. Birds of a Feather Coffee Company is a small batch craft coffee roaster and is our OG sponsor. There are three signature blends to choose from. The Morning Lark, which is a light roast. The Night Owl Blend, which is a rich dark roast. And the Hummingbird Decaf Blend. They also have the exclusive Legendary Brew, a nice medium roast coffee, perfect fuel for all those late night gaming sessions. If you use the code LEGENDS10, you'll get 10% off your order, and shipping is always free. Thanks everybody for checking it out. We'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.